devastated by flooding, Pakistan faces a battle to rebuild after what's been called a monsoon on steroids. The situation in affected areas is quite dire. We are seeing a rise in waterborne diseases such as cholera, hepatitis A and typhoid. The crisis unfolds as the country faces economic and political turmoil with warnings that things could get even worse. What's the situation on the ground and what's likely to happen next? Crisis in Pakistan, a new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. <laughs> Pakistan is reeling from catastrophic flooding that has killed well over a thousand people, injured thousands more, and seen more than 30 million lose their shelter. <laughs> Crowds scramble for relief supplies, with the worst affected regions seeing more than five times their average annual rainfall. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has witnessed the devastation. The needs are enormous, and I urge massive and urgent financial support for Pakistan. It is a question of Justice. The scale of this crisis would be a challenge for any nation, but Pakistan was already deep in economic and political chaos, with its former prime minister facing criminal charges. To help understand what is happening and what could happen in the weeks and months ahead, I've been speaking to Louise Hogan, security manager for International SOS. She started by giving me an update on the situation on the ground. The situation in affected areas is quite dire, and even in areas where villages have not been completely submerged, agricultural land has been damaged and essential services have been cut off. Much of the floodwater has damaged Pakistan's most fertile agricultural land across Sindh and Punjab, and it could take up to six months for the floodwater to recede. Ongoing heavy rain also means that flooding continues to affect new areas even now. And actually, officials in Sindh province in particular are concerned that larger towns and cities could be affected in the coming weeks. However, while a large part of the country has been affected by the floods, it's been largely rural areas that have been impacted rather than Pakistan's most populous cities. So, for instance, in cities like the capital Islamabad or in Lahore, the impact has actually been limited to just normal seasonal disruption. I've also been speaking to Dr. Prabha Kaka, International SOS's Deputy Medical Director, who's been monitoring the situation from Delhi. So the health impact uh, has been manifold. We are seeing an acute shortage of uh, potable water supply, food, as well as uh, medication in the affected areas. Healthcare access has been disrupted with all of that flooding. And at least 10% of Pakistan's healthcare structure has either been damaged or destroyed. We are seeing a rise in waterborne diseases such as cholera, hepatitis A, and typhoid. Mosquito-borne diseases uh, such as dengue and malaria are rampant and increasing very rapidly. And even snake bites on the rise. And people in evacuations are also at a higher risk of uh, uh, falling sick because of the lack of hygiene and sanitation facilities. I was going to say that presumably the challenges of treating people in the areas of Pakistan that have been worst affected are just going to intensify in the weeks ahead. 
Yeah, so the healthcare system in Pakistan had already been struggling in terms of quality and accessibility issues. So that burden is going to increase further. You know, diseases such as polio and COVID-19 are also at an increased risk of spreading further if they are not rapidly contained. Well, we'll get on to detailed advice for people who are in Pakistan a little later. But but first, it's worth exploring, I think, the wider context of what's happening in the country, this political and economic crisis that Pakistan is facing. Uh, Louise, just explain uh, the background to this for us. Yeah, so Pakistan has been experiencing a severe economic crisis for months, you know, with spiraling inflation, a deep depreciation of its currency, rising food and fuel costs, and we're also seeing more prolonged, unscheduled electricity blackouts happening in cities across the country. And the country has narrowly avoided defaulting in the coming months because they've managed to restart an IMF funding program and also secure additional funds from some Gulf states. But these are only stopgap measures, so the economic situation is still extremely precarious. Alongside that, we've had growing political instability since April, when former Prime Minister Imran Khan was removed from office in a parliamentary vote of no confidence, but he has said he believes a foreign-backed conspiracy was behind his removal. And so Khan and his PTI party are demanding that early elections be held, but that's something that the current coalition government is refusing to do, creating quite a political impasse at the moment. Now, Pakistan, of course, is a strategically vital country. The international community is presumably not going to allow it to default on its debts or or to collapse into anarchy. So what help has been offered? That's right. I mean, Pakistan is a nuclear arms state that is really key to regional security. So the international community is offering humanitarian aid to help with the immediate impact of the flooding, but then also offering longer, more structural funding that is aimed at holding off an economic default. But it doesn't address the deep structural issues that have led to this crisis in the first place. And unfortunately, in a few months, we're likely to repeat this cycle again. And it's unclear if the IMF will continue their program if they're unhappy with the steps the government is taking. Well, let me turn again to Dr. Prabha Kaka. Tell us about the potential health impacts that this ongoing political crisis and economic crisis could have on top of the problems of the flooding. A setback of the ongoing health programs that address nutritional deficiencies or diseases. So we're looking at more of diseases occurring um, in uh, near future among this population. Vaccination campaigns are likely to be disrupted and resumption of these campaigns are going to take longer. Vulnerable groups such as pregnant women, children and people with uh, pre-existing diseases uh, are going to be impacted more than others uh, because of the lack of access to essential healthcare facilities. Louise, presumably those who had been due to travel to Pakistan would probably be best delaying their journey at the moment. But what's the advice for people who are in the country? Those who are in Pakistan right now should anticipate ongoing business and travel disruption in the coming weeks and possibly months, as well as disruption to essential services. So that needs to be factored into journey management planning before attempting any intercity travel. For instance, people should liaise with their professional provider to ascertain the status of routes before setting out and just to ensure the feasibility of travel in the first place. Also, people should ensure that they have a robust and very 
very resilient local assistance network that will help them navigate the ongoing interruptions to essential services that we're unfortunately going to see in the coming weeks and months. And Prabha, for those who are in, in Pakistan, what is the latest health advice? So right now, International SOS uh, recommends deferring non-essential travel uh, to the country, especially the affected parts. For those already in the country, uh, it is utmost important that they follow the advice of local authorities, have a grab bag with essentials such as uh, torch, water and high energy foods, practicing good hygiene at all times, selecting safe food and water as much as possible, avoiding flood waters. Louise, you, you talked about the, the potential for the situation to actually worsen in the, the weeks and months ahead. Should the crisis continue in that way? What kind of problems could we see? We're likely to see more frequent and prolonged power cuts happening up to, you know, 12 to 18 hours a day, potentially in some cities. So very disruptive, as well as more price increases for basic food stuff um, and potentially food and fuel shortages in the coming months. And these issues will in turn provoke more protests due to public frustration and anger, which we're already starting to see in cities like Karachi. And then also as the economic situation worsens, crime rates will rise. And unfortunately, we've seen this trend start to happen in recent months. There's been an uptick in crime in cities across Pakistan. The political situation will also lead to more rallies and demonstrations on the streets, which will cause disruption and potentially lead to more unrest. One of the key issues going forward is going to be those charges that Imran Khan is facing. If any attempt is made to arrest Imran Khan, then we expect to see immediate, widespread, large protests occurring and the political situation in the country will deteriorate quite quickly. Well, we heard a little earlier from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who has visited Pakistan. And while there, he warned that the floods the country has seen were a powerful warning of the effects of climate change. I've seen many humanitarian disasters in the world, but I have never seen climate carnage on this scale. I have simply no words to describe what I've seen today. Climate change caused by human activity is supercharging storms and catastrophes. These extreme weather events have the fingerprints of human activity all over them. The irony is that uh, Pakistan is not among the major contributors of greenhouse emissions. It produces less than 1% of global greenhouse emissions, but its geography makes it extremely vulnerable to the climate change. Pakistan has a number of glaciers in its northern mountains, which results in torrential rainfall as well as flooding. Yes, unfortunately, Pakistan has really experienced extreme weather this year. Not just the widespread flooding we're seeing now, but they also had record heat waves earlier in the year. If such instances do become more common, it is going to have a substantial impact on the local security and logistical environments going forward. Louise Hogan, International SOS Security Manager and Deputy Medical Director, Dr. Prabhakaka. Well, for the latest information and advice on the situation in Pakistan, you can head to our website, internationalsos.com. And don't forget, you can always reach out to our network of assistance centres, available to clients 24-7. Until next time, though, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.